My Seven Chakras, Episode 50. You can plant a thousand seeds, but you can't force a single one of them to grow. The Seven Chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's happening, action takers? It's a sunny morning here in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. And I'm proud to bring you Episode 50 of My 7 Chakras. Today is surely a big milestone for our show and for our growing tribe of action takers. So before we begin the show, I have an announcement to make. As on today, 20th Jan, we're about a month into the new year of 2016. And I'm sure we all have one particular goal that we want to achieve. Maybe you want to quit smoking, get a new job, learn yoga, travel to the Fiji Islands, start a new business, any goal. Having a goal is great. Writing it down makes it powerful, but stating it in public, well, that takes it to a completely new level altogether. It holds you accountable. It taps deep into your subconscious and enables you to move faster towards your goal. So my request is send me your goals with your name, your location, that is which city are you from? And what is it one goal, not two or three, but just one goal that you are committed to achieving in 2016, send me an email to aditya at my7chakras.com. That's A-D-I-T-Y-A at my7chakras.com. That's A-D-I-T-Y-A at my7chakras.com. And I will give you a shout out. In fact, I'll give 10 shout outs to 10 of our listeners on air at an upcoming show. So don't wait. Send an email right away. So let's move on to today's inspirational show and today's inspirational guest is Natalie Moore. So Natalie, are you ready to inspire? I'm so ready. Awesome. So Natalie is a holistic psychotherapist practicing in Southern California. She specializes in helping young adults relieve anxiety naturally through increasing awareness of the mind-body connection. She takes an empowering approach to her work with clients. So Natalie, I've given our listeners a mini intro. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I'd love to. Well, I'm, I'm from Southern California originally, and I love it down here. I am so grateful to have the opportunity to help so many people in my community to relieve anxiety. It's something that I know plagues so many young people in, in this city, in Los Angeles, and I feel honored to have that that role. Well, thanks a lot for that introduction. Now, before we begin today's discussion, you get to light the torch of inspiration by sharing with us your favorite inspirational quote. So are you ready? I'm ready. Great. So Natalie, what is your favorite inspirational quote? And give us one example of how you apply this quote to your life. Well, this is a quote that I actually came up with myself to help me get through the journey of starting a private practice. And it's, you can plant a thousand seeds, but you can't force a single one of them to grow. And the way I apply it in my life is that no matter how many goals I set for myself, and no matter how many things I do to 
reach those goals, I have to exercise so much patience in letting the universe take its course and letting time pass and letting people hear about me organically. And you can't force any one goal. You can only work toward it as as hard as you can. And then you have to have patience to see it come to fruition. Mm -hmm. You can plant thousand seeds, but you can't force a single one of them to grow. And that is so profound. It reminds me of a video I was watching by Alan Watts uh, yesterday on YouTube. And he sort of uh, showed videos of various Trees, saplings, flowers, all blooming and growing. But the single point was that nature just is. It doesn't force itself. It doesn't have a goal. It just does its thing. And it sort of reminds me that humans are also part of nature. And we are human beings and not human doings. So thanks a lot for reminding us. And let's dive right in to today's show. Now, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 and older, or 18% of the population. And this costs the U.S. more than $42 billion a year, almost one-third of the country's $148 billion total mental health bill, according to the economic burden of anxiety disorders. In other words, it is a major challenge that we are facing collectively. What are some of the symptoms of someone suffering from anxiety disorder? Well, I'd like to start off by explaining the difference between stress and anxiety, because I think that's an important distinction to make. So there are all kinds of stressors in our life, whether it be the work that we do, our family, the obligations that we have. And so experiencing a certain amount of stress is completely normal. Anxiety is different. Anxiety is when you experience excessive worry about things, some things that have a rational amount of worry, and then some things that have an irrational amount of worry. And so when someone's excessive worry is starting to get in the way of their ability to be present in life, to enjoy their relationships, and to have a fulfilling job, that's when it becomes an issue. And that's when people should really decide whether they're going to get help. So once this person is, you know, ready to get some help, reach out to people, how does this person come to know? What are some of the symptoms? Maybe if you can talk about both mentally and physically, the symptoms that one sees when somebody is experiencing that anxiety disorder, is worrying about something, not rationally, not experiencing just normal levels of stress, but is having an anxiety disorder that is irrational, that is excessive. Okay, there are a lot of different things that you'll see. One of them is that the person will tend to ruminate on a certain thought. And so a rumination is when you have a thought that just keeps recirculating in your mind over and over again, and you can't control it. You feel like that thought is taking over your life, and you can't get any peace from that thought. So that would be one symptom. Another one would be somatic symptoms, which means that it it shows up in your body. So that could be things like really bad stomach aches or digestive problems. For some people, it shows up as migraines. And so if you're having some some physical issue that doesn't seem to have any basis in a physical disease, it could be psychological. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure that while the problem of anxiety disorders is rapidly increasing, the problem in itself 
has been there for many years now. So what is the challenge with the conventional approach to treating anxiety disorders? Oh, that's a great question. So the conventional and most popular approaches to treating most mental disorders like anxiety and depression and things like that is cognitive behavioral therapy. And cognitive behavioral therapy is founded on the belief that our thoughts, our beliefs, and our actions are all connected and that one affects the other. And this is a great foundation upon which to build more understanding. But I believe that we need to take it further than cognitive behavioral therapy because what that modality seeks to do is to help people kind of reject their feelings and try to change their behavior that doesn't feel in line with their feelings and their beliefs. I think that for people to really move past anxiety, they have to work with their anxiety instead of against it and start to really drop into that feeling of anxiety and really experience it fully. So then that way it doesn't have as much power over their lives. They can experience it without the suffering of it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that in your approach, you have a holistic approach in that you not only tap into Western wisdom, but you also tap into ancient Eastern wisdom. So how has that helped you and how did you get inspired to include that into your practice? I got inspired to include that in the school that I went to for my graduate studies. It was a holistic school mm -hmm. and I wasn't exposed to a lot of Eastern wisdom growing up. I was exposed to a lot of Western traditional medicine wisdom. And going to this school and being exposed to this new information, I connected with it really deeply. I felt like it, it spoke to me and I resonated a lot with it. That's how I came to, came to be inspired by it. And I find that it helps me in my work so much because people come to me and they've tried so much already to try to make themselves feel better. They've done so much research online to try to reduce their anxiety. They've talked to friends and family members and maybe even other people in the helping professions and they've tr or maybe even read books about self-help. And they try to implement these strategies that they read. But what I find is that they're still being so hard on themselves and feel like there's something wrong with the anxiety and that they should get rid of it and that it's bad. And so what I try to help people understand is that you have to find a way to love that part of you and accept that part of you first in order to relieve your suffering from it. You can't just make your anxiety disappear overnight. Mm -hmm. I love the clear distinction that you make and that you made earlier as well is that the traditional way is approaches such as the cognitive behavioral therapy uh, where it works. But we need to take it further because that therapy tries to take people away from their feelings. But the alternative therapy and modality that you use is not to escape your feelings, but to work with them, not to be really hard on yourself, but to really recognize that part of you. And recognize that there is a challenge and that it has to be addressed. But embracing it and then working on it in a holistic way. So thanks a lot for clarifying. You're welcome. And you gave a really great summary of it. That sounded great. <laughs> now, you spoke about stress as well earlier. So thanks a lot for clarifying that. But before moving on, is there a difference between an anxiety disorder and depression? And are they two related? That's a great question. They 
are very different in their in the way that the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is basically the book that psychologists use to diagnose people, they both are clear, distinct diagnoses. However, they tend to have a very high comorbidity rate, which means that they tend to appear together at the same time. So about 60% of people who have depression will also be diagnosed with anxiety, and about 60% of people with anxiety will also be diagnosed with depression. They tend to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you're a holistic psychotherapist with a whole person approach to treatment. So I love the word a whole person approach to treatment. Could you speak a little bit more about this whole person approach? Absolutely. I think that in traditional Western medicine approaches, the approach to healing is to find out what's wrong and to fix it and make it go away. Mm -hmm. And so that approach tends to try to dial things up and down. And I don't believe that with a human spirit and a whole person that you can dial certain things up without affecting other things and dial other things down without affecting other things. I believe every little thing is so connected in our mind, body, and spirit that you can't address one without addressing the whole. So when I work with a client, I don't just want to know what their thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are. I want to know what their spiritual practices are, what kind of food they're putting in their body, if they're moving their body, all kinds of things can affect someone's mind, body, and spiritual health. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you mentioned that the conventional approach is finding out what specific thing is wrong (laughs) through symptoms and then trying to fix that issue through medicine through a tablet, through an injection, for it to go away. But the problem that occurs is that as soon as a person fixes that particular problem, the uh, issue is manifested in other aspects, maybe mentally or uh, physically as well. But you, you look at a person holistically as a whole person, understanding that you can't address one thing without addressing another aspect. So you, I'm sure you have a process through which you ask the person uh, many questions to understand not only the problem that the person is facing, but the person's lifestyle and what he or she goes through on a consistent basis. So thanks a lot for clarifying that. That's a great way of putting it. And just to piggyback on that, mm-hmm. there's a concept in the alternative therapy approach that, that says we need to be pro-symptom. And it's it's counterintuitive to what you would think. You would think, oh, symptoms are bad, but symptoms are good. They, they're telling us something. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody has anxiety, I want to find out how can I help this person on a deeper level? Because honestly, I don't want to make their anxiety go away immediately because that doesn't help them for their whole life. I want to find out how can I help this person long term, not short term. The the symptom a lot of times is a coping mechanism in some way. Let's say somebody is coming in to me to see me because they have a gambling problem. Okay, maybe they're managing their anxiety through gambling and they want to stop gambling. But if I make their gambling go away today, then they might start drinking tomorrow. And then if I make their mm-hmm. drinking go away, then they might start cheating on their spouse. You know, you have to find out, okay, what's the root issue? How do we address it so that other symptoms don't start cropping up in place of the old symptom. Mm-hmm. It's so true. It's really counterintuitive sometimes that we think fear is bad for us. But sometimes if you really look at it, fear is there to serve you. Fear is there to protect you. It keeps you safe in your 
cocoon because deep down within i think we're still cave men cave women mm-hmm. who want to be safe from that saber tooth tiger so this fear is actually protecting us but what it doesn't realize i guess is that beyond that comfort zone before that safe haven that's when the magic lies that's when uh, we really experience growth physically mentally and spiritually now through your practice through the stories that you shared and your experiences i'm sure that you've changed numerous people's lives based on this what is your most inspiring client student or patient success story till date oh wow that's that's such an interesting question you know the the relationship that i have with my clients is, is so sacred and special that i don't feel as if it would be honoring that relationship to share any stories without their permission, even if I didn't use the names or any identifying information. If someone were to listen to this and hear and hear their story without me asking them if I could share it, I would feel as if I broke their confidence and their trust. But what I will share is that I'm inspired by each and every client that comes and sees me. Even if someone comes and they only see me once and they they leave because they're too fearful or they're not ready, I'm inspired by somebody deciding that they want to fight for themselves. They want to find someone who can help them. They pick up the phone. They call people and try to get help and try to move forward, even if it's just one inch at a time. And so even if I have... A, what somebody would call a, a successful client story or what someone else might see as an unsuccessful client story. I don't categorize them that way. I see it as as inspiration for me to keep doing the best work that I can so that I can continue to help as many people as I can. Mm-hmm. Now, thanks a lot for sharing that. And from our experience, a lot of our guests are healers. And what they say is the number one patient for them is they themselves, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because they use a lot of their practices, meditation, yoga, or what have you. They use it on themselves. So is there an instance where you have used your practice on yourself and, has, and have seen some success, some empowerment and some growth as well? Absolutely. I started a mindfulness practice when I was in graduate school about six years ago. And in the beginning, and just to give your your listeners a little bit of an idea of what mindfulness is, it's a meditative practice that you practice throughout the day in addition to formal practice, and you're bringing a mindful and accepting awareness to the moment and all the thoughts, feelings, and sensations that arise in that moment. And when I first started this practice six years ago, I thought, wow, this is so hard. I want to be mindful, but I can't remind myself to be mindful because in order to remind yourself to be mindful, you have to be mindful. So it's kind of like this chicken or the egg, what comes first? How do I integrate this? And so the way I integrated it in in the beginning was just a willingness, a willingness to be mindful and to allow that mindfulness to come to me when it was ready to come to me and that I would be present to it. And what happened was I didn't force this mindfulness practice on myself. I just allowed it to come to me. And slowly but surely, just like a snowball gaining momentum and getting larger and larger, over time, my mindfulness practice grew exponentially. And now it's one of those things where I don't have to try very hard to cultivate it. It comes to me so naturally now. 
And so I, I infuse so much mindfulness into the work that I do as a therapist in my own life to help me be a better therapist so that I can be more present to my clients, but also within sessions to help my clients become more mindful of their own lives. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. And listeners, mindfulness, yoga, tai chi, qigong, hypnotherapy and all these wonderful practices they are powerful but especially at the beginning when you're trying to make a change in your life as in the case of Natalie it's not really easy but the fact that you have taken out that time and you are sitting down in silence away from maybe your friends and family just for your growth so that you can contribute more to your friends and family and to your community that's a sign that's a sign that you have embraced a new practice and that you are going to make progress. It might take some time, but you are definitely heading in that direction. So at this point, Natalie, our guests share one health tip that our listeners can try out immediately. So what is it one tip that you can share with our audience? The first tip that I typically give my clients, and then the one tip that I'll give to your audience, is to pay attention to your breath. And the reason why I give this tip is because I believe it's so foundational to self-growth. For me, whenever I come across a time, a situation, an instance where I need to feel more grounded and need to feel stronger, all I have to do is bring my mind to, to my breath and it helps me get through so much. I honestly, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have this awareness of the breath. I feel like it's so strong and powerful. That is so profound. In fact, I have heard so many yoga practitioners, yoga teachers and yoga experts say that yoga is great. Yoga literally means union, yoga. But if there's just one thing that you learn out of yoga, would not be all the intricate and difficult to do poses, but just to breathe. Because breathing is something that requires us to be mindful and sometimes we forget to breathe effectively and in fact there's an entire science an entire work of study that is called breath work or pranayam or fire breathing so thanks a lot for sharing that wonderful health tip and out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls the most massive characters are seared with scars. This is a spectacular quote by Khalil Gibran. And in this round, we talk about challenges and how we can learn from those experiences. Uh, so Natalie, tell us about a time when you faced a crisis situation or a challenge. And then how did you overcome that particular challenge? That's a great question too. My biggest challenge as of late has been starting my private practice journey because when you're when you're a psychotherapist and you're going through your schooling and training, you're told that you need to help everyone and that you need to be everything to everyone in order to be a good therapist. This is a myth that I hear repeated over and over again. And so when I got to a point where I got burned out helping everyone with everything, I had to really refocus and look inside and decide how can I help people and keep it sustainable for me so that I don't get lost in the shuffle? And I decided that the only way for me to do that feasibly would be to start my own business, start my own practice, see people, see private clients, and to zero in on a focus. Decide, okay, who can I serve very, very well? And how can I 
increase my expertise in that area and increase my ability to help people in that area. So I decided to focus on young adults with anxiety because that's a group of people that I feel extremely comfortable helping. And so when you do that, you have to, by process of elimination, you have to eliminate a lot, most of the people who might be seeking help. And that was so challenging for me because I'm a helper. I want to help everybody. But in order to help myself, I had to zero in on one population and decide, okay, this is the population that I'm going to help to the best of my abilities. Mm -hmm. So in retrospect, what is it one major life lesson that our listeners can take away from your story? To listen to yourself, I think that In today's world, with all the media that we have, there are so many voices now that get heard. And that's, there are great things about that, but it can also be very overwhelming and confusing for people. And this is something that I struggled with too. I always thought that I had to be like the greats in my field and had to listen to all of their wisdom and just apply it to my clients. I only, as of late, within starting my own practice, have realized. I need to listen to my own wisdom. My wisdom is valid. It comes from me and it's authentic and real. And so I would encourage your listeners to listen to their own wisdom and their own intuition and trust that. It won't lead you astray. Mm -hmm. You said that you were in schooling as a psychotherapist and you were told that you have to help everyone with everything. And then you took some time to realize that that was a preconceived notion and that because that got you burnt out. So you took a moment to recognize how you can serve and who you can serve. Who is your ideal client? What group will benefit from your services the most? And that's what got you here. So thanks a lot for sharing. And actually, in one of our previous episodes, one of our guests shared six steps to actually recognizing the wisdom that can serve you and uh, one of the steps towards very end was to act which is important because once you listen you get some ideas and you act but the last step was to check was to check whether your actions have are they serving you is the wisdom that you receive from the people around you from tv from radio is it serving you and if it is then that's great and you can move ahead in that direction but if it isn't then you you know, you uh, rebalance yourself and then you search some more so that you can find that information that can serve you. So thanks a lot for sharing. You're very welcome. And with that, we move on to the true calling round during which we discuss how you actually got to where you are today. Now, Dan Kay once said that life is a big canvas and you should throw all the paint on it You can. So my question to you, Natalie, is have you found your calling? Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I feel so lucky to have found my calling at such a young age. The thing is, I know that even though I've found my calling, it's going to grow and evolve. I have so many ideas of how I want to help people. I've thought about writing books, starting personal retreats and things like that. And the ideas just keep flowing into my mind. And so what I what I need to do is always rein myself in and keep focusing on the one thing that I'm working on right now. And then once I feel like I've really established that and built momentum on that, then I can move on to the next thing so that I don't get into a habit of spreading myself too thin. Mm -hmm. So going back in time, is there a specific moment 
a lightable moment maybe beyond which you knew that you had found your life's calling. Let's hear that story. Sure. When I was in sixth grade, I used to help my teacher during summer breaks and I used to help her put up the bulletin boards for the next year. Mm-hmm. And I just have this vivid memory of enjoying myself so much because I was just immersed in this topic of learning and immersed in helping my classmates without them really knowing that I was helping them for the next year. And every time someone asks me how I knew that I was going to be a therapist or being in the helping professions, I tell them about about that experience because being young and helping people, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't even know really that I wanted to be a therapist at that age, but I knew that I was going to do something to help others and that would make me happy for the rest of my life. Well, that is a wonderful story and action takers and listeners, there might be many incidences, many stories, many actions that you took as a kid, uh, hobbies maybe that you were really passionate about. But at that point, you didn't really know whether you could translate that uh, hobby or that passion that you had deep down within into a career. And uh, I guess one of the uh, uh, signs of you having found your calling is when you uh, like doing something and you're doing it as an adult, as somebody who's older, but then you have that moment when you go back in time and said, yeah, this is what I used to do as a kid as well. And it's so awesome uh, that I am doing the same very thing. And Natalie, to share with you, uh, as a kid, I used to record my voice a lot on my computer. Back in the days, uh, those much larger, I would say clumsy, clumsy computers, I had a mic and I would record voice modulate all the time. But I never knew back then whether this could actually translate into a career in any way, sort form. I just did it because I loved it and because it made me happy. But then later on, I realized that I would love to uh, start a podcast and inspire people around the world, enable them to lead a healthier life. And then I had this moment like you did as well, that I did the same thing as a kid. And that made me happy. So thanks a lot for sharing. Thanks for sharing your story too. That's beautiful. And with that, we've reached the final round of today's show, which is called the Wisdom Round. Four short questions that require four short but action-packed answers. So are you ready? I'm ready. So what is the best advice that you've ever received? My mom told me, you don't know until you know. And that helps me whenever I feel like I should have known something sooner. And I had to learn it the hard way. Is there a personal habit that contributes to your well-being? My mindfulness practice every single day. So what is your morning ritual like? My morning ritual is that I sleep in really late because that's what my body needs. And even though there's so much talk out there about morning rituals and how they set you up for success, I think you can't Mm -hmm. go against your body. My body tells me I need to sleep in late every day. And so that's what I do. In a way, actually, sleep can actually be therapeutic. I've read about some research where sleep helps you lose weight and good quality sleep can tap into your alpha state and help you get ideas and build on your intuition as well. I believe it. So what is it one book that has made a major impact on your life? It's called The Gift of Therapy and it's by Irvin Yalom and it has helped me trust my own wisdom as a therapist and trust my own methods of how I help people and not to not to judge it or criticize it as not the right way to do it, but it's just my own way of doing it. Mm-hmm. So based on your experience, would you recommend that this book is majorly for 
people in your practice or this is something that you know people from other walks of life other uh, you know industries can also use and benefit from i think it's a great book for anybody to read who's either a therapist or someone who's interested in getting therapy i think that people who are interested in getting therapy can benefit from it because it can break a lot of the myths that they might have about what therapy is and it can help them actually find a better therapist because they can tap into what they actually want from therapy and what they're looking for in a therapist mhm so our listeners know that they can find the insights and links in the show notes so natalie it was awesome having you as our featured guest for today before you leave tell us one thing that you're really grateful for tell us the best way we can find you and then we'll say goodbye well i'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be interviewed on podcasts like this one i think it's a a great ad- advantage of this day and age is that we can get the our word out and our wisdom out to so many people who are happy to hear it and so how to get in touch with me yeah you can reach me at awakentheself.com perfect so there you go listeners as i always mention what we discussed today is just a small portion or a tip of the iceberg of what you can learn about this fabulous and awesome field we all in some way or form experience stress because the way our work or maybe our lifestyles is structured uh, but in the occasion where somebody in our family or our friends is experiencing an anxiety disorder or if he or she might have shared with you that they have searched written, read articles maybe gone on blogs and seen videos but nothing is helping them you know where to go awaken the self dot com there you will find access to a lot of information and most importantly you can get in touch with natalie as well who is going to use a holistic approach a whole person approach to help you out and empower you to grow so natalie thank you so much for exposing us to new ways of handling anxiety and taking us one step closer to a human revolution you're welcome and if people want to take one further step they can go to awakentheself.com/chakras and they can receive a free exercise there for how to reduce their anxiety today wow thanks a lot for taking the time to provide this gift to our listeners and i'm sure that our listeners would love your wonderful gift as well you're very welcome thanks for having me on the show listening to my seven chakras go to my s e v e n chakras.com download your free gift get inspired and take action transform your life today